Welcome to Earned Wisdom for Accomplished Female Leaders. You've done it all. You've walked the tightrope of success and accomplished so much in your career. Now what? How do you keep redefining your success and expanding your emotional well-being? Join us to hear talk on mindset, motivation, and your growth in handling the challenges you've experienced both in circumstances and with yourself as a leader. Welcome to Earned Wisdom for Accomplished Female Leaders with your host, Tracy Crossley. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of my wonderful podcast, which I just changed the name of and I already forgot it. So <laughs> um, I like to keep things real. It's called Earned Wisdom for Accomplished Female Leaders. So um, I just changed it last night. And that's because every leader that I talk to, I feel it's earned wisdom. So today I have with me another wonderful leader. Her name is Lori Zlotnick. Hi, Lori. Hi, Tracy. Nice to meet you and nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about her and then we're going to get started chatting away here. So, all right. So Lori is a purpose-driven strategic brand and marketing and executive dedicated to creatively solving complex brand and communication challenges across multiple platforms and industries. Skilled expertise in new product launches, brand development, and acquisition marketing, Zlotnik excels effectively leading cross-functional teams towards high levels of collaboration and achievement. Broad experience across startups, national, and global organizations targeting multi-generational audiences ranging from 5 to 85. Her best work is often found at the intersection of brand strategy and social impact. Most recently, Zlotnik simultaneously served as the chief marketing and brand officer of Team Rubicon, which is a veteran-led global disaster relief nonprofit organization, as well as the Veterans Coalition for Vaccination. With demonstrated leadership abilities, Zlotnik has held high-profile executive roles within the National Football League, News Corporation at both Fox Cable Networks and Fox Sports, Disney, Sony Digital Entertainment, NBC Universal, LA Times, and Nestle. Lori also served on the board of directors for Make-A-Wish of Greater LA and continues her philanthropic work within education as the founder and chief advocate for Advocation Station. Committed to DEI, she actively served as an internal and external diversity mentor with the NFL, Fox, and Promax BDA and is currently a founding member of Chief and the Forbes Women Forum. And I love this so much. Thank you for joining me. Of course. Thank you for having me, Tracy. Absolutely. So I'm loving doing these interviews, by the way. So what I always ask first is when you were a little girl, what did you want to do when you grew up? Oh, gosh. I think when I was a little girl, listen, I grew up in a family of all doctors. I grew up in, you know, in, in this medical family. I knew what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to go, you know, that route. My brain wasn't wired that way. I was, you know, always the one that was, you know, discovering new things and staring at art. And, and you know, my brain just wasn't wired that way. I think, you know, as an animal lover, I thought that if I had to go that way medical wise, I probably would have been a veterinarian. But I can't say that, you know, my childhood girl aspirations have, you know, transpired into what I am today. I think that, you know, my my evolution has taken many twists and turns. And um, I'm not sure that that 
the majority of people, you know, dream about what they want to do and actually end up doing that. I, I think that it would, um, I think you grow in as a person, right? From the time you're you're younger into, you know, that evolution of who you are as a professional today. I think there's a lot to be said for that. I always am curious because I think there's always aspects of whatever it was that drew you to something mm -hmm. as a child, you know, that you carry through, even though it probably comes out differently as an adult, yeah. usually. Yeah. So, um, you know, when it came to your career path, how did you find yourself on it was, you know, you went to college and you discovered mm -hmm. that you loved something like where in there did you actually end up on the path you're on? So during my college years, I, um, I was a fashion design major and I minored in marketing and journalism. And the goal back then was to write for fashion magazines. I um, absolutely loved journalism and, you know, the, just the whole marketing strategy, the campaign evolution, you know, watching how, um, you know, big companies sold merchandise and how they presented themselves, whether it was straightforward or just in a, like an essence in a tone. And I knew that I wanted to be a part of that world. Um, you know, very deep, you know, very deep within the world of communications. I joined every organization that I possibly could find and was, you know, hit it head on and, um, and then created opportunities for myself. I ended up when I came out of college, um, there was you know, the joint operative agreement that happened, you know, in Detroit with the two main papers, and there were not a lot of jobs out there. So I ended up working for a smaller paper. And I ended up in the art department. So, you know, that's sort of what started my love for, you know, the process of communication in, you know, in a, in a print forum and in, in a, you know, a very static medium. And from there, you know, my love grew it, I stepped into the sales department and then, you know, I started combining the two between the strategy of what my clients were trying to achieve and, you know, how we could express that through art. And then somehow I found myself on this road to, you know, helping other people outside of my client base, you know, at the magazine, I started taking on my own clients and, you know, it just sort of evolved from there. Um, I was very fortunate that I, you know, was almost handed a job, you know, with an ad agency um, early on. They had a hole in their um, their strategic executive, you know, executive um, account executives that that were, you know, in California. And I took the opportunity. I was moving and took the opportunity to just jump in, and um, and here we are today. So I've been on both the agency and the client side of the business, and feel like that is a very unique perspective to be able to have, um, to understand how the agency business works and also to understand as a client what you need out of your agency. And um, and that really is a, you know, a mutually beneficial um, relationship. I think to be a good account executive, you have to know what your client wants and needs. And to be a good client, you have to understand how the business works on the other side and how to lead your agency to get what you need. Absolutely. And so what would you say as a leader, what your, I would say, strongest characteristics are? Like, what do you bring to the table, you know, and what you're talking about, whether, you know, whichever side you're on, but what do you feel you bring to the table as far as your characteristics? Um, I'm a serial mentor. I really enjoy the process of watching, um, you know, the process unfold, so to speak. I, I love watching 
folks, you know, that light bulb go off and that aha moment of like actually getting, you know, the nuances between objectives and strategies or, um, you know, having folks start, you know, very, very green and then leave our division completely a different, you know, morphed professional. So I think mentorship is something that I truly enjoy and I, and I bring that, you know, to the table. I also think one of my strengths is that I'm equally strategic and creative. I don't think that um, that is characteristic of, of all executives. And I think, you know, I've had the honor of running both the marketing strategy and the creative department at the same time and watching them be able to dovetail together. So um, I think that's a strength that I bring to the table. And I also think, you know, the older I get in navigating through, um, you know, different cultures and, and different experiences and, you know, different generations of, of what folks want. I think I come to the table as an authentic leader, you know, somebody who can actually stop now and look at, um, you know, the, the teaching versus the telling. So right. um, I lean more into now the teaching part of leadership versus, you know, this is what we have to do. Go do it. It brings up so many questions. So when you say authentic leader, what do you assign those characteristics to be? I think patience. I think um, vulnerability, I think, is a big one. I think that, um, you know, you have to bring that to the table. I don't claim to, you know, know everything. And, and I think that you have to be open to not only learning, you know, what's new around you, but what your team can bring to the table to also teach you. And I think, you know, having different perspectives um, is key. You, learning happens everywhere. You know, I, I think that, that that secret sauce to unlocking potential is how you present yourself and how you create a safe environment for others to function within it. I love that. And so that brings me to a statistic that I found surprising, and that is only 21% of CEOs in the United States are female. And when I look at that number, I think, holy cow, we have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there are certain things that stand in the way. I don't necessarily subscribe it to other people. I always come back to what we ourselves can do. So from your perspective, what would you say to that statistic? I'm not surprised by that statistic. I think we're getting better as a culture and um, as organizations start to see the value of, you know, diversity and, and equity and different perspectives and, and what female leadership, you know, brings to the table. I think there is a, um, you know, a sense of resiliency that women come and bring and, and just a different kind of, you know, a different kind of, of, of leadership. Um, but I do think that we're doing a better job. I think that more women are entering into the C-suite and, and beyond and onto boards. And I think that, um, you know, that the tides are turning a little bit, but we definitely have a long way to go. Um, you know, Tracy, I have often been the only woman around, you know, the boardroom table. Um, it was never an uncomfortable position. I always felt as though I had a responsibility with that role to be able to mentor other women and open doors for, you know, for other women and to also do speaking series so that, you know, it inspires other women to be able to, you know, reach their goals and their dreams. And I think that, um, you know, early on when I was a child, you know, a wise man um, once said to me, if you don't ask, the answer will always be no. And so I have learned along my career to ask for what I need and what I want 
And, um, and sometimes the answer is yes. And sometimes it's no. And sometimes it's, hey, it's not the right time. But I think as women, we have to know what we want when we walk through that door and be able to execute effectively. I agree with you. And there were so many other statistics that speak to how women struggle, let's say, to get investments for their business or they struggle to speak up. And most, I think, painfully is how women compare themselves or compete with other women. What mm. would you say to that? I think there's a little bit of, of, of that for sure. Um, I believe that you, you shouldn't compete with other women. I think that as women, we need to hold each other up and, you know, and, and, you know, provide opportunities when it's available. But I think that's, that's straight across the board with, you know, with whether you're male or female, I think it takes a good leader to be able to, you know, see the potential, unlock that potential and create opportunities. You know, opportunities aren't often um, presented. They sort of appear and you have to know when, to, you know, when that light is on to be able right. to take and sometimes they don't appear for women. I mean, let's face it, there there is that inequity of, you know, equal pay. There's inequities of how many seats are at the table. There's inequities of, you know, of, of women, you know, being promoted. And, um, you know, those are real issues for women. And, um, and I think that there's a double standard, you know, that's often applied when it comes to women. Right. If you're assertive and you have an opinion, you're often seen as aggressive. But if a male counterpart does that, then, you know, they're often seen as a go getter. So I still think until we bridge that gap of perception and reality and, um, and biased thinking, um, you know, the the issues will continue to to swirl. I don't look at myself as a victim. I don't mm -hmm. think other women should look at themselves as a victim of, you know, hey, we need I think it's a matter of taking action. Right. Acknowledging that there is an issue and figuring out what are the solutions in order to bridge those inequities and how do we hold each other up versus tear each other down? I completely 1000 percent agree with you. And, you know, it comes back to prescriptive bias, which that's that expectation, right, that we as women are going to behave in a certain way. And it's not to me so much that society is holding it. It's that we inject that or interject that into our own minds. And I think it plays in the background, especially for women, like you just said, that are more assertive, that sometimes they feel the need to pull back like, oh, no, I'm not being a nice girl, or I'm not acting as others are expecting me to. And maybe they're going to shut me out, or maybe I'm not going to get ahead. And so you kind of screw yourself that way. Yeah, I, I, I for sure. I, you know, I, listen, I, I think that um, there, there's bias, let's face it, there's bias. But I, I do believe that the companies and cultures are, they're evolving and they're changing. And it, it's not good enough to just be seen anymore and have a seat at the table. You have to be seen and heard. And, um, and I think that that is, you know, that's that that's the difference now. Um, and I think that, you know, you can have a strong opinion and you can present it in a way that is professional and um, and and have a solid perspective. I think that that women need to come to the table and, and voice their opinions. How you do that within the culture is, you know, that's the tricky part. Right. And, and I think that as organizations are now laying down the foundation for 
internal brand and culture that somehow has to dovetail with what my departments do in brand, because that internal and external brand need to walk and talk in the same way. And I think that that is one of the biggest opportunities right now for how brands are presenting themselves and um, you know how they put out statements and how they position themselves publicly and what they do in order to reinforce their values and their promises to the consumer who's not only buying your product, but also to your internal employer brand and the, and the, the folks that are actually churning out the work to, you know, to make that revenue happen. So those are, those are opportunities I think that, um, that are there right now and, and, and right for the taking. I also think there's great responsibility that comes with those opportunities. I think that everything you're saying is spot on. And I think for some women listening, they must think, okay, yeah, this sounds great, but how do I even approach it, right? How do I even get there? Because I believe that sometimes the mindset that we have is very limited as mm -hmm. women, because again, you know, going towards what we perceived is possible. And we think maybe some women that are very successful and happy being successful, by the way, not just successful, are an anomaly. And I don't tend to personally go with that. But in all the research I'm doing, there's still quite a big percentage of women that do. Yes. And, and I think that women often come to the table with an internal negative narrative about themselves because there's, there's so much bias and there, and there's so many inequities that, you know, right out of the gates, you know, it, it, it's that negative orientation of, can I do it? And, you know, it, it, are the doors open for me? All those questions that sort of swirl around in your head. And I think that, um, you know, confidence is going to be your greatest asset. And, um, and again, going back to that notion of, if you don't ask the answers always no. So having that confidence to understand what it is you're going for, what you want, and then finding the tools and the mentors to actually get you to that. I, I think it's vitally important, you know, in any organization to find your mentor, find the person that's going to champion you, find the person that you can, um, you know, bounce ideas off of who's your thought partner, you know, with, within this, you know, this world, there is no secret sauce to, um, you know, for women to walk in the door and say, this is what's going to happen. The secret sauce is unlocking it within the leaders around you and figuring out who can help and who, you know, who's going to, who's going to hinder, you know, your progress. And I think networking is vitally important. Networking with other women. I, I once had an old boss say to me, have lunch twice a week with somebody that you don't know and start building your network. And, you know, I, I think that that's important. And, also knowing yourself, Tracy, you know, being self-aware and knowing where your strengths and your stretches are, and then understanding what does that mean to the people on your team? I once did a very interesting exercise where I wrote my own user manual and I did it with a cohort of other women um, within Chief. And it was so incredibly just enlightening and, and illuminating for myself to really sit down and say, you know, this is what matters to me as a leader. And this is how it impacts my team. And these are the mm -hmm. things that you should know about me. And, and it doesn't mean that you have to function like me, but it will be a heck of a lot easier if we all, you know, if we all came with a user manual, right? Oh my God. Yes. I yeah. think it's important to know yourself and what you want to get out of your own career and then make a plan. I, I love that. And I think that's true. It just reminded me of, 
years ago when I, I had a marketing person on my team and she would call me the wild stallion because of how my brain worked. And I was just, you know, I'm a, I'm a true visionary and she was not. And so I would call her mom and because we had this whole thing going on. And I mean, I think I've grown leaps and bounds since that time, but it's interesting, the dynamic and that dynamic was kind of a miracle because it took me years to be able to have somebody who wasn't like me and who could mm -hmm. actually balance some of the things I was doing without me feeling like she was trying to crush it or she was, you know, as something that was negative. Like I actually was able to see it in a more positive light. And I think sometimes yeah. when you get pushed back, it's hard to do. Yes, for sure. And and that goes back to your notion of women competing with each other. You know, I, I think one of my biggest lessons early on as a, as a manager was not everybody's going to do it the same way that I am. And I am very, very quick on my feet, but not all of my creative folks are. And some people do really well when they're on their feet and they, they come up with those, you know, those, those quick solutions and some people need a little bit of time to marinate and one is not better than the other. I think that different people come to the table with different strengths and different ways of doing it. And as the mom of two special needs kids, I can't tell you how much I apply that now to my actual management style, which has absolutely evolved. Um, you know, there's, there's 25 million different paths to get to the same place. You just have to allow people to be on their path and you know, come out the other side. And it's not about the control and do it this way or do it that way or the right way or the wrong way. There's definitely a systematic approach that you can take, but when you're managing creative people, you gotta let that process unfold, right? I mean, it, and, and people allow people to express themselves in their own ways. So doing it exactly like me, that's no fun. You don't want to build teams with people that are exactly like you. You want to build diverse teams that come to the table with different perspectives and challenge and ask the whys and how did we get here and how can we do it better? And, you know, why are we doing it this way? And, you know, if you start asking those questions, you'll be really surprised that you'll get answers back. Right. So when we talked earlier about, you know, women having a seat at the table isn't enough, they need to be heard. So mm -hmm. asking those questions and, and bringing forth those voices oftentimes leads to amazing creative solutions. Yeah, I could see where that would be the case. And of course, it takes confidence to put yourself in that position, too. Mm -hmm. So for you as a leader, what have been your greatest challenges? And of course, how did you come through, let's say, your greatest challenge? Gosh, I mean, there's so it depends on, you know, on the environment. I think that sometimes um, the greatest challenges are managing culture and what those expectations are. And I don't think that folks ever really put a name to it. You know, culture, it was, you know, is your boss X, Y and Z or how's the relationship, you know, with 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 your boss? And it became um, it was a personal thing versus a culture thing. And I think that now that organizations, you know, lay it out for their employees. This is, this is the culture here. These are our values and our promises. You don't have to figure it out. So, you know, mm -hmm. in one environment, you know, you may be too friendly and in another environment, you know, when you pull back and you're a little bit more reserved, it's too reserved for that, you know, for that culture. So I think navigating different cultures 
um, is always interesting. And I always think it's, it's also, you know, brings out some self-awareness. But when you try too hard to fit into a culture, you're then not authentic to who you are and what you bring to the table if you're just trying to do it like everybody else. So um, I think I, you know, I, I struggled with trying to do it like everybody else. And I think women often fall into that trap of likability and, you know, wanting to, um, you know, that becomes, you know, kind of a, an objective versus just being there and, and knowing that you were hired for a reason. So I think that that's, you know, that's one, I think, navigating, you know, different cultures. Um, and, I, you know, I think that it's, uh, I've seen everything, Tracy. I, I, I think resiliency is, is not been a challenge, but it's worked, you know, to my, to my benefit because I've ha often had to, um, you know, stop down and rebuild and reinvent. So I've lived through company closures and department restructures and, you know, division overhauls and, um, you know, company sales, all of which, you know, are very challenging because as a leader, you have to still inspire, knowing that there potentially could be, you know, some aftermath of, 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 you know, the situation of what's going to happen. And that becomes very personal with people's lives. So I think, you know, to, to manage within uncertainty is mm -hmm. both a strength of mine and also has built, you know, incredible resilience over, over time. I was going to say, as you were talking, all I could think is resilience, 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 mm -hmm. because I, I feel that's where people will give up and say, Oh, this isn't going to work for me. And then they totally derail their career or derail whatever it is that they're doing. And so resilience, do you feel it's something we're born with? Do you feel it's something you build a muscle with? What, how do you feel about resilience? I, I feel like some, I think it could be both. I think depending on what environment you are coming up in, you know, I think resilience can be you know, can happen when you're very young and, and you have to create a sense of resilience, you know, and, and some sort of protective armor around you, right? And learn how mm -hmm. to persevere. I think it all depends on your environment. I do think that resilience is a muscle, but I also think that we have to give ourselves the opportunity to be forgiving to ourselves too. And it's okay to feel, and it's okay to, you know, while you're on that path of resilience, it's to stop down and say, you know what, today I need a break. And I need to address my own mental health. Um, I think resiliency is both a blessing and a curse, you know, but, but I don't mm -hmm. think that you can be a strong leader without some sense of resilience because, you know, it falls on the leader, right. To create that mm -hmm. environment, regardless of what the company culture is, your department is its own culture and it, and it creates its own tone and it creates its own safe haven um, to be creative and to have a voice and to be vulnerable. So I think that, you know, as a leader, you have to have, um, you know, you have to wear a badge of resilience. You have, you've, most leaders have seen a lot by the time they get to the C-suite, you know, you, you've lived through some of those, some of those challenges and restructures and probably have done a bunch of those yourself. Right. Usually that's the case. And so yeah. that brings me to the question of, uh, when it comes to women coming together, you know, female leaders coming together and, and I mean, really coming together, not, it looks great on the outside, but on the inside, it's really not mm -hmm. working. Um, <clears throat> what would you say 
needs to happen in that category for women to really come together as a group, you know, not voting against each other, not standing in the way of another. And really, you know, I feel you need to focus on your own path, but I think we get caught up in what someone else is doing and that makes it hard to come together. So what would you say to that? I think understanding what other women's needs are and where they're going and where they're going on their path, I think takes an incredible ability to listen and take a step back and not focus on, you know, on your own needs and really hear what the room needs and what the group is there to do and, and what the group is there to accomplish. And I think laying down those, those, those ground rules are really important up front. You bring a bunch of women together, a bunch of powerful women together. We're all drivers. We all, we all know how to drive the, you know, the train. We all, you know, it, it's hard to take a back seat sometimes. And so I think you, you get that natural competition, not in a, not in a, a negative way, but a, Who's going to take a step back? Who's going to lead? Who's going to, you know, really take the reins of figuring out what the group needs, right? And so I think that that, that also takes great skill to be able to do that because we're so wired to, you know, our own success and the success mm -hmm. of our teammates. When you get a bunch of women in the C-suite all trying to do something together it's um, you, you have to listen and you have to allow for those voices to happen. I think that when you bring powerful women together, powerful things can happen. But I think everybody has to be on the same page. I think ground rules are essential, but that's just with with any group of, you know, of type A performing, high performing, you know, executives. <laughs> yep. Makes a lot of sense for sure. Uh, and it's funny. I'm like, I haven't thought about Rob rules in a long time, but yeah. I used to. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, it tells me how old I am, too. But anyway, <laughs> so before we wrap it up, what I'd love is if there's any advice or anything that you can offer to other female leaders that are out there that you feel can help them out in not just, you know, how they see their business, but in how they see themselves as a leader. Yeah, I, I think seeing yourself as a leader, it's it's an evolution. And I think that who you are today may not be the leader that you are tomorrow. Seek out the information, seek out mentors, you know, try to, you know, look at the leaders that you admire and what kind of qualities do they exude and how do you bring that into your own, your own leadership? I also think it's very important to be vulnerable and know what your capabilities are, know your strengths and your stretches and really be able to articulate both. Um, I think that, uh, you know, coming to the table, knowing who you are is just as important as coming to the table and knowing who you're not. Right. And, and it's the same thing about, you know, when you build brands, knowing who the brand is and how it walks and talks is just as important as knowing what the brand would never do. So I think hold true to your own values, know what your value system is, find environments and mentors that can help reinforce what your values are. And if something doesn't feel right, stand up for what's right. You know, oftentimes I feel like women are afraid to do the right thing, but it doesn't set the right example or tone for the women underneath you or for, you know, for the men underneath you, you know, it, it, as well. Um, you know, I always tell my kids doing right is doing the right thing isn't always popular and doing the popular thing isn't always right. So just knowing where your own North Star um, is and, and who are the people around you that can help. 
I love that. I think that's such valuable information for everybody listening. So Lori, if somebody would like to get in contact with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, the best way to, to contact me is through my um, through my agency, Zequity Marketing. It's Zequity, Z-E-Q-U-I-T-Y, marketing.com, or Lori at ZequityMarketing.com is my direct email address. Lori is spelled unusually, like L-O-R-E-Y. So, or you can find me on LinkedIn, always. Wonderful. And I have really loved our conversation. Every time I, I do these, I'm like, oh, I'd love for these to be longer, but... Uh, Thank you. And really great information for everybody listening. And I hope you guys will reach out to her if you have any questions about anything she's talked about. And thank you for joining me. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, audience. And we'll see you next time. Take care. Thank you so much, Tracy. You're welcome. Thank you for joining today. For more information on Tracy and her programs and to set up a discovery session, email business at tracycrossley.com. Dot com. That's business at tracycrossley.com and go to tracycrossley.com to get your free download entitled Stop Your Inner Dictator. Thank you for tuning in to Earned Wisdom for Accomplished Female Leaders.